Hello and welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth, brought to you by Grounded Press. My name is Dana Petrovic, and each week my guests and I explore one aspect of Mother Earth and the gifts that she gives us. We also discuss why these gifts are so precious and why we should value them. We got you curious? Good. We love curiosity. Let's start. I have a confession to make today, dear listeners. I have serendipity to thank for my today's guest on Conversations with Mother Earth. Oh, my meeting with, with Christian Bush happened by chance and ended in a beneficial way, which is what serendipity means. Christian reached out on LinkedIn and after visiting his profile, I eagerly invited him to speak because I discovered his fascinating book, The Serendipity Mindset. I believe that this is a topic all of us ought to be interested in because haven't we all met extraordinary people when we least expected it? And these people became our spouses, best friends, business partners, and sometimes we meet people that we um, yeah, don't like so much. So, my today's guest is Dr. Christian Bosch, who grew up in Heidelberg, Germany, but teaches at the New York University and the London School of Economics. At NYU, he directs the global, directs the global economy program at the Center of Global Affairs. Christian, welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth. Thanks so much for having me, Donna. Well, I'm certainly glad that the serendipity brought you and I together. So kindly tell our listeners, what prompted you to write the serendipity mindset? Yeah, it's been a longer uh, origin story in the sense that uh, it started a couple of decades ago. You know, I used to be this kid that uh, uh, I was kicked out of high school. I uh, had to repeat a year. Um, had a certain reckless lifestyle, you know, um, focused on the day-to-day uh, and, and just enjoying life. And then I transferred this into my driving style, probably helped the unofficial world record of how many dustbins you can knock over on your way to school. And then one day I wasn't so lucky anymore. I crashed into four parked cars and all cars were completely destroyed, including my own. And I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene and he was like, oh my God, he's still alive. And, you know, this idea that I was supposed to be dead, that's, that stuck with me. And um, it, it took me on this intense search for meaning. I asked myself a lot of questions, you know, who would have come to my funeral? Was it all worth it? What is life all about? And I only had a lot of depressing que- answers. And so I started reading this wonderful book, uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is all about that question of how do we find meaning in crisis and meaning in, in tough situations? And what I realized is that what I enjoy doing the most is connecting ideas, connecting people. And so I started out as a community builder. We set up a community called Sandbox Network that uh, brings together young innovators around the world and helps them make ideas happen. And then 
I went more towards working with CEOs on, you know, purpose-driven companies. And at some point, uh, the inner imposter came out and said, look, Christian, you're, you know, trying to make all these things happen, but essentially we're just, you know, building the plane while we're flying it. What do we actually know? We're claiming all this impact we're having, but what do we know? And so I went a bit more into academia saying, what are the patterns behind success and failure? What makes some people more successful and, and joyful than others? And what I found fascinating is that both in that kind of journey as entrepreneur and social entrepreneur and in my research, what popped up everywhere was serendipity. You know, the most successful purpose-driven people, they seem to have in common that they cultivate serendipity. They, they constantly see something in the unexpected and turn that into positive outcomes. And so I got really fascinated by that question. Is there a science-based framework for that? Can we develop a science-based framework for how we can create more serendipity more unexpected good luck in our lives. And so that's really what the book is about. And that's what a lot of my work is about to say, how can we develop that, that framework, but also what are exercises we can use in the day-to-day to create more luck for ourselves and for the people we love? That's interesting, but it sounds like my life, <laughs> what you're mentioning, because when I look back, and I'm, I'm sure my listeners too, when we look back, we can't explain certain things, but yet they happened. And they brought us to where we are today. Good and bad. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, yeah, you mentioned the term luck. Um, and you, in your book, you talk about, uh, the, the, you use the term smart luck. And for some listeners, it might, this might sound like a contradiction, even an oxymoron. What do you mean with the term smart luck? Because um, we are more used to the term like destiny, fate, um, chance, um, even blind luck. But what is smart luck? Yeah, well, it's really in, in contrast to the blind luck, right? Blind luck being all the things we can't really control, like being born into a loving family or, you know, stuff that, that essentially passively happens to us but it's just dumb luck right and then serendipity really is about smart luck it's about luck we have to work for um you will hear a lot of times you know among successful people they will say something like well i worked really hard to be lucky right and 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 it's really this idea that how do you build a muscle for luck and and you know if you look at serendipity the beautiful thing is when you really look at the patterns behind how you know I'm sure a lot of the listeners will maybe have found the love of their life via serendipity or their job or, you know, Viagra, all these different things, innovations, inventions, up to 50% of those emerge unexpectedly, but there's always a certain process. And the process is always, there's some kind of serendipity trigger, right? Some kind of unexpected chance event, but then it's about us connecting the dots and doing something with it. And that's really the active element. And that's really what we can train. We can, create more serendipity triggers so we can create more meaningful accidents but also we can learn how to make accidents more meaningful and so that's really the two aspects we can we can work on and to you know give you a tangible uh, or two tangible examples one is really around saying um imagine you know if you have erratic hand movements like i do you spill a lot of coffee right so imagine you spill a coffee in a coffee shop over someone you spill that coffee and you sense some kind of connection with that person. You don't know what it is, but you just sense something. And now you have a couple of options, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with that person? And then option number two, you start a conversation. That person becomes the love of your life, your co-founder, your investor, you name it. The point is what we made with that unexpected moment 
predetermines a lot of what happens in, in the long run. And then second, and what I'm really even more excited about is how do we create more unexpected moments that can create serendipity? And, and one of my favorites there is, is the hook strategy. And the hook strategy is really about saying, how can I use every interaction, every conversation to cast a couple of hooks, to, to seed a couple of potential triggers? So, you know, there's this wonderful entrepreneur in London called Ollie Barrett. And if you would ask Ollie, what do you do? You know, this dreaded question that we get asked at every conference and everywhere we go, he wouldn't just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say something like, I'm a technology entrepreneur. Uh, I recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. I recently started hosting piano matinees. You should come by. Oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science. You should be a guest lecturer. The point is the more we can get clarity about a couple of interests we want to seed into conversations, the more we allow other people to connect the dots for us and by that create serendipity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, uh, yes and no. I, I do agree with you to a certain point. Um, but I do also, I mean, as being both professors, you know that um, in our academic world, when you also sometimes say, you own, I'm, I'm a professor, I'm an author, um, I'm a TEDx speaker. Sometimes it does confuse people, though. And I think that's where it gets really interesting, right? Really, <laughs> it's, really, really, it, it's, it's literally kind of working on your own elevator pitch, but in a very discreet way, right? Because it's not about pitching people. It's not about throwing at people as many elements as possible and saying, I'm a speaker, I'm this, I'm this. Like that kind of like puts people off, right? But it's more about saying, how do I seed things into a conversation so that people can pick whatever they find most interesting? Right. And, and so, for example, you know, take the example, like I'm at the moment extremely excited about the question of how do we take a serendipity mindset into every education system and every company. And so in every conversation, I try to seed that in. Some people pick it up. Other people don't. But the point is, if I do that with a couple of elements, that is where serendipity happens, because we give people an excuse to essentially say, oh, this is interesting versus kind of like not talk about the other yeah. things. So I completely agree. It's, it's not about just throwing stuff at people. It's about having a narrative. It's about building a narrative and, and bringing it in, into, into, in an intuitive way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it makes us also um, a whole human being, because we are not only professors. We are not only authors. We are not we also uh, uh, married we have a, a spouse we have we have a family we have each human being is so faceted in so many ways and this is what makes us beautiful uh, this makes us interesting exactly uh, this aspect so um, i'm glad that this the world is a little bit changing and we are allowed to be uh, in this and that and that uh, and say that uh, in a in a setting but um one topic that is uh, repeated um, by a lot of trainers, coaches, we even focus on this in our leadership training, um, is the topic of focus. Everybody talks, we should be, uh, we should have a vision, we should have a clear focus, we should drive towards it. How is that, how does that work with serendipity? You know, it's interesting, we just finished a study with uh, 43 of the world's top performing CEOs, so essentially we sat down with the CEOs of MasterCard and other companies and said, what is it that really makes you successful? And what's interesting about them is that, you know, all of them have an extremely clear idea of where approximately they want to go, right? So the CEO of MasterCard would be, 
you know, I want to lift 500 million people into the financial system. Here's an approximate plan. But then I will be open to unexpected encounters that we have to, you know, in a fast changing world, be open to so that, that the really interesting things happen. So what I've observed with, with interesting leaders is that, you know, the old leadership style is to say, this is the exact plan. This is exactly how it works. This is, and, and everything that goes wrong then is a mistake, right? It's a leadership failure versus with these high performing CEOs. It's really about saying we have an approximate idea of where we're going. But also we have the humility to say we can't know everything and we make that part of the plan. And because we make it part of the plan, it doesn't become a weakness. It's not that Ajay Banga at MasterCard would then in five months when someone says, oh, my God, I found an unexpected solution of how to bring these 500 million people into the financial system, that now he looks like a weak leader. Quite the opposite. He told me from the beginning he wants me to bring in these new solutions so that we can actually accomplish this vision together. And so that's really what we, you know, in, in, in our own lives as well, right? This idea that the more we know about what are our values, principles, interests, some kind of North Star that helps guide us, the easier it gets to connect unexpected things to that. But also, you know, I work a lot with students, right? Like similar to you and, and one of the things I find interesting is that when you're a 20 year old student, you don't know what exactly you want to do with your life. And you shouldn't like that. That's not that's not your job at that point. You're not, you know, I, I grew up in Germany. They told me I would always have to know what exactly to do, how exactly to do it. That's not how life happens. Right. Yeah. And the problem then is we get about just because we think, oh, my God, life should be exactly this way. No, what I'm essentially talking with 20 year old students about is to say, hey, Write down a couple of things you're interested in and then rubber stamp forward, you know, go into different types of communities, figure out what you find most interesting and open your mind to this so that then essentially you can go closer to what you're really interested in and what then also can get, you know, bread on the table and then kind of combine what you're excited about and, and what really kind of, you know, enables you to, to live a, a meaningful life. But so long story short to your, to your point Serendipity is not about saying we don't need planning. It's not about saying we don't need a vision. It's actually saying let's build into our vision or into our idea of life that the unexpected will happen and let's make it part of the plan so that it becomes an ally rather than a threat. Yeah, it's interesting um, what you're saying because uh, where leaders are aware of our what we call the VUCA world, uh, uh, you know, the, all the um, volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity, you know, around us. Um, so... Um, it's important that we uh, that we keep uh, an open mind, and as you as you mentioned in a, uh, in your book, we should also be um, careful that we don't take uh, one serendipitous event and turn it into a pattern, and we expect that this will happen over and over again, because actually the this sticking to the pattern is the opposite of what serendipity per se is, and we should actually be open to the unexpected. So I'm correct about this point, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. The other topic um, that we uh, discussed in the first episode of Conversations with Mother Earth is responsibility. The, the episode was about the organic chocolate and about sustainable farming in Ecuador and how with our with taking responsibility for our actions, in this particular case, buying organic chocolate and paying a little bit more, but helping farmers on the other side of the world is um, something that has a direct influence. How are these two topics linked, serendipity and responsibility for our own actions? You know, it's interesting because if you think about the world and the challenges we face, 
a lot of these challenges, especially social and environmental, are very intricate, right? They're complex. We can't know exactly how to solve them. And so one of the problems we've seen, especially in developing countries, you know, where Western do-gooders go in and try to fix a lot of things, but actually have more unintended consequences and, and do more things harm than good, but also more broadly, is that essentially we have too many people who assume they know how to fix things mm -hmm. rather than actually to be open to the serendipitously emerging new ideas that could actually really help improve things. And so what do I mean with this? What I mean is that a lot of times the serendipity mindset is especially important for intricate complex problems because we need to iterate with other people around saying, okay, we, we know that climate change is happening. We know that X, Y, Z things are important, but how exactly we can do that in the US versus in Ecuador, we have to work on this and probably there will be unexpected solutions in different contexts. Exactly. And if we don't have that openness, if we have a functional fixedness that, 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 that doesn't allow us to be open to these solutions, then that is actually really irresponsible, even if we think we do well and good. Right? And so I think that's really about saying there's a certain humility in that mindset that says, yes, it's vision and everything is great. But don't assume you know everything exactly. because that actually is more harm than does more harm than good. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a very good point that you're bringing, Christian, because in our episode about the soil, we talk exactly about that. How can we cultivate local solutions instead of uh, bringing out, bringing, say, oh, it's, it helped, it worked in the United States, it must work in Kenya, it must work in Nigeria, it must work in South Africa, it must work in Kazakhstan. Um, well, it doesn't. And there are reasons for that. And as you said, when we are open to the local solutions and maybe even pair it with the local knowledge uh, and local uh, traditional knowledge, maybe we, we, get a, we get a better solution. So that, that goes in a, in a similar direction. And the humility, of course, plays an important role. We, we, have, to, we have to understand that we cannot plan everything. This is what's, what's so difficult for us humans. So from time to time, especially, and this is linked with my next question, especially we would like to avoid uh, certain encounters. In my inside, we say, oh, my God, um, I really wish I did not meet that person. The serendipity was again in place, but we met somebody maybe who was not so, uh, let's say, um, intriguing, or the person maybe even opened up in parts of us that we don't want to see. What are your thoughts on that part, the darker side? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel that the darker side of serendipity um, sh shows in, in a couple of ways, right? One, one way is really that idea that, you know, we need some kind of filter, being it based on values, on principles or something else that doesn't get us into dangerous territory, right? Like imagine the scenario where, let's say you serendipitously meet a trader who gives you insider information about Bitcoin, right? And then you buy all the Bitcoin in the world. Um, that's great in the short run, right? Because you might make a lot of money, but in the, in the mid to long run, you might have compromised your values. You might be now, you know, uh, having a problem with, with the authorities and, and so on. And so the point is serendipity doesn't always have to be good. Um, it has to be driven in some way by our values, by our principles, by the things we care about. Um, and to your point, also a filter can help us then to filter which people do we actually want to interact with in which ways and want to have serendipity with versus, versus not. And the second point that I think is, is, is extremely important also is serendipity and societal inequality, right? Because if you think about it, so a lot of my work is in 
low-income contexts, especially in sub-Saharan Africa and in part of Nairobi or in the Cape Flats in Cape Town. And, you know, the serendipity starting level, the base level of potential serendipity is so much lower than for me here in the West Village in New York, where I have access to education, to networks and everything else. And so the point also is how do we essentially work on the surroundings of, you know, the type of networks people have, the type of education, so on, that allow people to have more serendipity, so that serendipity actually doesn't make that inequality even higher and higher and more and more and more, right? Because I have a lot of serendipity, um, because I also have a lot of that kind of network and everything else set up versus I think one of our tasks is to also be part of shaping networks and education systems that allow other people to have similar amounts of, of serendipity. And then the third one, which is actually my favorite in terms of how we really have to be cautious about it is how the serendipity for someone might be bad luck for someone else, right? So take the example, if you're a policeman or a policewoman and um, you know you you somehow have a hunch that you, um, um, you know, like that there might be um, 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 something in a garden somewhere and randomly you encounter like a whole Mariana garden, right? Of, and you get the, the kind of police woman of the month award. But, you know, it was this 80 year old pensioner who really just wanted this, like in the last kind of part of their life, they just wanted to enjoy a little bit of their own garden. And, and that was just the life, right? So it's kind of like the serendipity of the police woman actually is really bad luck for the pensioner who goes to prison for the last kind of couple of years of their life. And so yeah. the point is that sometimes serendipity for some people might actually mean bad luck for other people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes um, sometimes uh, we look at certain events, certain, yeah, we wish uh, maybe they did not happen, but on the other side, you know, we, we have to take good with uh, bad with the good or bad good with the bad or which way we are turning because at the end, everything makes sense, doesn't it? You're mentioning the important point of values, um, and this is what we also, it's uh, a part of my work is also that we ground ourselves in our reality, in our values, in who we are, um, not being necessarily, I don't know, um, culturally defined in I'm just this and I'm just that, but that we define, that we, that we ground ourselves in who we are. And this, of course, also influences our serendipity because then we can say, this is who I am. This is where what I stand for, and of course, this helps us meet people who are like-minded or think in a several similar direction. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah, and, and I think it it really goes in in two ways, right? The one way is that we know what to connect the dots to, because I know then, oh, like even if I see serendipity with someone. If I don't feel they're aligned in terms of values, some of my biggest mistakes in life came from serendipity with people where my gut told me, yeah, don't go there. But yeah. then I was like, no, but it could be great. And my brain told me do it. And so it's really kind of, in a way, values help us to, to course correct and to, to really realize, okay, maybe I shouldn't go for this potential opportunity here um, and, and because it, it isn't aligned necessarily or the person isn't aligned with, with what I stand for. Um, but also then the other way around, um, in, in terms of that, that values are interesting, I think, to also define what are non-negotiable values versus what are values that, you know, are important, but, 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 but they, they are malleable depending on the different situation. And I've learned that a lot, you know, especially in my work in developing countries where I took certain assumptions for granted and certain values for granted. And then you go into other contexts and you're like, you know what? It's, it's quite arrogant to assume that, that I know which values are supposed to be better than other values. And so I think values are interesting also because 
it's really, and that comes back to the humility aspect that an open mind also means to reevaluate values over time and to say, you know what, um, maybe that value doesn't serve me. Maybe that value doesn't serve the world. And maybe I have to reconfigure that based on what I'm learning along the way. So I feel um, one of my key learnings in life was to say, there are some non-negotiables, you know, you don't compromise integrity, you don't compromise loyalty, things like that. But then also there are kind of values that, that are amenable to change depending on the different context. You were mentioning an interesting point. Of, uh, um, I have to tell you an, uh, an interesting anecdote uh, that just came up to my mind. It's kind of linked with what you were saying um, when we, with, our, with the values, but um, sometimes um, communicating this, we don't always know why. And then it turns out that uh, this was precious or valuable to somebody. We were giving leadership training in Abu Dhabi. And uh, the room was in room in this room were all men. And at some point, I don't know why it happened. I really can't explain. I normally don't share this in a certain setting. I said what my purpose was because we talked about leadership and purpose. And I said at some point uh, I was in a deep hole, and I had to just define this purpose for me. And I said my purpose is, I serve Mother Earth, and I serve one race, the human race. And the room was, uh, as I said, full of men. There were some Emirati, some people from, some participants from Bangladesh, India, uh, across the Middle East, Jordan, Egypt, uh, Morocco, and so on. And I saw these blank faces. They were looking at me like, what is she talking about? And I thought later after the workshop, my goodness, why did you say that? You know, why did you mention this is your own purpose? You did not need to share this in a setting, in a setting like that. However, the next day, one of the guys from India actually quoted me. And to him, it meant the world. To him, it meant a lot because he felt in this workshop like he belonged. And if I planned this, I would not have said it. Yet, I, I lit up that time, one person's day. Uh, made it a better place so we don't sometimes know what how things work uh, can work out i was certainly the evening before i thought my goodness why did you do that and i understood the next morning why i had to do it yeah absolutely and that's that's the interesting thing also know that sometimes at hindsight we connect the dots right sometimes yeah. we try to put it in foresight but in hindsight now you know I guess, especially for people, like if I think about, you know, different contexts where maybe there's a hierarchy of different, you know, nationalities or a hierarchy of different, exactly. right, does which job and, and things like this, right? And then if you, in a way, equalize that in your workshop, right, that that in a way gives a lot of um, a lot of hope to, to, to people in, in the workshop. So I can definitely see how that, uh, how that made probably um, uh, the day of, of more than one, one person. Yeah, yeah, the, that, I mean, he, he, really was he quoted me the next day he was so uplifted and he was so happy um so yeah sometimes we don't know how we how we work how we influence uh, other other people and um one of the, this one maybe one of the reasons why i like this quote from your book so much and i'll quote it now um verbatim imagine a world driven by curiosity opportunity and a sense of connection, rather than by fear, scarcity, and jealousy. A world in which enormous challenges such as climate change and social inequality are being tackled by solutions that are bold and up to the challenge. 
In our fast-changing world, many of the emerging problems are so complex that much of the future will be driven by the unexpected. The reason this quote resonates with me because it echoes the core message of conversations with Mother Earth, namely the need to imagine a world where we value each other again as fellow human beings, no matter which job we do, because each of us is striving to make a living for ourselves and our families, hopefully while respecting the delicate balance of nature on our planet. Imagine a world that despite our differences, we accept, face, and tackle common problems together because we value the world in which we live in. Christian, yeah. it was a pleasure talking to you today. Absolutely. I think, you know, to your point, the question of how we overcome, especially partisan divides, right, in this world that is so partisan, that is so... You know, the, the, in, unfortunately, not only diverse, but actually uh, without common denominators in, in some areas, like thinking about what what makes us right, yeah. a common denominator, what makes us human, what what is it that brings us together? Um, I, I think that's at the core of a lot of the things that will be important in, in the future. Yeah, um, so th- I agree. Absolutely agree. Yeah, exactly. So. That is um, wonderful talking. I could continue on and on, but I do recommend your book uh, because it's it's a, a truly a fascinating read. I really mean it. And um, of course, my listeners will want to know where can they find you? Where can they find your book? Yeah, the homepage is serendipitymindset.com and I am at Chris Serendip on Twitter. Okay, so we can find you. We can, we can find you there. The listeners, as you know, you can find all these links in my own Instagram, Facebook um, profiles, and of course the profiles of Granite Press on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Wonderful, really wonderful, Christian. Thank you so much for joining Conversations with Mother Earth. Thank you so much for having me. This concludes today's conversation brought to you by Granite Press. I hope it was a serendipitous episode to you. Next week, following today's insights, they will serendipitously allow wind to carry us away. Join us again. <laughs>